You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. We are in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Rumors of God. And the reason we've launched a series is because we believe there are many people in the religious South who have resisted the idea that God wants to say that God wants to do and God wants to give more than we could ever imagine. Uh, we live in a culture where many people have heard about God. I think that's safe to say, right? Uh, we've read stuff about him in scripture. We've heard about the great things that he can do uh, in the lives of people, maybe in the lives of people in the word or in lives of people throughout the world. But for many of us, we have dismissed this, these rumors, as nothing more than rumors. And so the reason we've launched the series, The Rumors of God, is because we want to, in this series, close the gap between what you've heard about God and what you actually experience in a real and personal way. And this morning, as we continue in our series, I want to specifically talk to you about how the way in which we handle our money it will be a great indicator as to why, for some of us, the rumors of God are remaining rumors rather than becoming a reality. How the way in which we handle our finances and look at, at the money in our lives are actually keeping us from experiencing the deeper things of God. And I know for some of you, like as soon as I say that, your heart sank, right? You're like, I knew that I should have slept in today, right? Or I should have traded with that nursery worker who asked me to trade with them. Right? Some of you right now, like as soon as I say money, you're like, dear God, please don't let him end up in the book of Malachi. Right? Um, some of you in here, you're incredibly faithful in the area of giving. You're very generous. Actually, when you give, I mean, it's like you just come alive. But for a lot of us in here, if we can be honest, when it comes to giving money, I mean, we're just, it's just a struggle for us. And what I want you to know is that no matter how you come in here today, whether you're generous or you're greedy, whether you give a lot or you don't give at all, I want you to know two things. One is you're welcome here. Bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your fears. This is a safe place to struggle and, and kind of limp forward together, right? That's why we created this community. So you're welcome here. But what I want you to know is, listen, there are going to be times today in this message um, where you're going to feel like I'm pushing you further than the Holy Spirit's maybe leading you. And if you begin to feel that, please know like that's not my intentions today, Okay. In fact, this is going to be a little bit different message than what I would typically preach. I'm not going to use a lot of illustrations. I'm actually going to just share a whole lot of scripture with you. It's going to be kind of a teachy type sermon. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I want you to know that what I'm talking about today does not come from a personal agenda, but a biblical conviction. Okay? And from my experience, and what we believe here at Fellowship is that God's word is given to us not to beat us down, but to set us free. And so please know, if you begin to feel beat down today, like that is not my intentions, that is not my heart, but actually what I want to do today is through preaching this text is not to push you into like heavy-handed obedience, but rather to gently, as a shepherd, lead you into a place of joy and peace and contentment and into the life that God has created you to experience. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually break this message up into two different kind of sections. And I am going to talk in a little bit about the method of giving. But before I talk about our method of giving, I want to talk about the motivation of giving. Okay, before I talk about, hey, here's how much you should give and here's where you should give, I want to talk about why should we give. 
Why should we even have any desire whatsoever to give of our finances and our time and our talents for the glory of God? And what I want you to hear this morning before I go any further is this, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you. As a follower of Jesus, your default instinct is to give. As a Christian, the natural impulse, the default instinct of your life should be to give. In Acts 20.35, Jesus, the one whom our faith is built upon, says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's better to give, Jesus says, than it is to receive. This is an absolute paradigm shift that should change the way as Christians we view the world. Jesus says that it is better for you to give than it is to receive. Now, what I want you to think about is if you are a Christian, the spirit of the one who said this has been placed in you. You have received his DNA. This is now, as we talked about a while ago, you are a new creation and you are being created more and more into the image of the one who says this. Therefore, the natural instinct of a Christian is not asking the question, hey, when I show up here, what can I get? But rather showing up saying, what can I give? Does that make sense? Like That's what we see. And when we give, what we discover is Jesus says, it's better to do this. It's better to give than it is to receive. Now the problem is the culture gives a message completely contradictory to this. And some of you are believing this message. You're believing the lie that the culture says, no, 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 it's not better to give than receive. It's actually better to receive than it is to give. So if you want to be happy, if you want to have the good life, you need to consume more stuff. You need to get more things. And so you need to buy that new car if you're going to be happy. You've got to get that bigger house. You've got to get the updated technology. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But some of us are tending to take it to the the, the extreme that we think we have to have these things if we're ever going to be content or ever be fulfilled in this life. And guys, that is a lie. Um, If um, that's where you are this morning, you actually are in the majority. Um, There's a book right now called The More of Less. I would encourage you to pick it up, read it if you can. And here's what the author Joshua Becker writes about Americans. He says, it's as if the purpose of life is self-gratification. And buying things is the only way to get there. We don't think about this. We just assume it. Consider with me how pervasive this perspective really is. Our streets are lined up with strip malls and retail stores. We measure our national well-being in gross domestic product, trade deficits, consumer confidence, and the rate of inflation. Every corner of our nation has been commercialized, even our national parks. We select our political leaders almost solely on what they promise to do for health or the health of the economy. The American dream has been defined in dollar signs and square footage. To make resisting consumerism even harder, some of the finest minds in our generation use every tool they can devise to craft into even greedier consumers. Purchasing new things has never been easier, as simple as clicking a single button. No longer do they, speaking of the marketers, know just our age, gender, and marital status. Today, corporations know our net worth, our personal preferences, our shopping habits, our favorite books and movies. They know where we spend, or, or they know where we spend, when we spend, and how much we spend. They have recorded every piece of data that could possibly be collected from our smartphones and our internet browsers history, and they use it every day to exploit our weaknesses. In a sense, listen to this, marketers know us better than we know ourselves. 
They feed on our insecurities and feelings of inadequacy. Society hijacks our passion and directs it toward material things. But nobody, but nobody regrets or nobody gets to the end of their life wishing that they had bought more things. Why is that? Because consumption never fully delivers on its promise of fulfillment or happiness. Instead, it steals our freedom and results only in an unquenchable desire for more. It brings burden and regret, and it distracts us from the very things that actually do bring us joy. For some of you this morning, consumption has become a way of life. It's become habitual. You don't even think about how much you do it. Like Becker says, for some of you, you think life is all about your own personal self-gratification, and the way that you're going to get it is by consuming and by obtaining more stuff. And so whenever you hear a sermon about giving, what happens in your heart? Right? You get a little tense. You get a little nervous. Because the reality is, for some of us, we believe it really is better to receive than to give. Imagine with me for one moment if I was to come to you and say, hey, I want you to set aside 10% of your income for a vacation next year. I want you to set aside 10% to update all your technology because the new iPhone's coming out, so you've got to plan ahead. So set aside enough so you can get that. <laughs> or if I said, you know, set aside 10% so you can update a wardrobe or whatever it is. Let me ask you this. What would your emotional response be? Now, what if I came to you and said, hey, I want you to set aside 10% of your income to give to the poor. I want you to set aside 10% of your income to give to the church to help pay off the debts of people in your missional community. Then emotionally, what is that going to do to you? For some of you in here today, if you can be honest, you really do believe it's better to receive than it is to give. And listen, if that's where you are, that is not the heart of God. Romans chapter 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not now graciously give us all things? Our God is the most generous being on the planet. None of us in here could ever outgive this God. I mean, this God, rather than giving us the hell that we deserve for our sins, he gave us his only son. Can you imagine? He gave us his only son to come and live a perfect life that we could never live. To die a death that we all deserve to die for our sins. And then he rose from the dead so that now when we just receive this gift, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. When we just receive this gift, when we open our hands and say, yes, I want to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. As a result, we can receive forgiveness. We can receive freedom and the fulfillment that is only found in him. If you believe this is true, your natural response should not be, I wonder how little I can give to get God off my back. I wonder, like, pastors, what exactly, what's the least I can give and you guys not come and talk to me about how I'm not giving and blah, 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 blah. This should not be so. Jesus says it is better to give than to receive. Listen to me real quick. If you're a Christian, everything I'm saying right now, you know is true. I'm not trying to shove anything in anybody's heart this morning. If you're a Christian, that's in there. I'm just trying to pull it out of you so that you can experience the life that God's created you to experience. You know this is true. The problem is, though, everything else in our world will tell you this is rubbish. It'll tell you, no, if you want to be happy, you've got to get more stuff. And listen, we're bombarded with this message from birth because people know we're born this way. 
A couple uh, months ago, my parents bought tickets for me and my kids and my wife to go to the Discovery Museum in Little Rock. Anybody been to the Discovery Museum in Little Rock, by the way? Okay, a few of you. It's awesome, isn't it? It's great. But, and you know this. Did you take your kids, Robert? Okay, yeah. You know this whenever, or a kid at the time, now kids, right? So um, when you walk in to the Discovery Museum, if you're a parent, you cringe. You know why? Because they place, the place you go to get tickets is actually like in their toy store. Like this is totally strategic on their part because they know what happens. When you go to get tickets to go into their museum, you're taking your kids with you. And what do kids do when they walk into a toy store? Right? They freak out, man. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's like crack cocaine to them, right? I mean, they're just like, they love it. They love it, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're chasing after it. I mean, it's like an addiction, right? They see a toy. I'm, 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 I'm not really trying to be, I mean, it really is. It's an addiction, Right? And they're born that way. I mean, they go, and I mean, immediately, if they can't even help themselves, they're going, and they're grabbing, and they, they want to pick this up and pick that up. And a lot of parents, because they don't want to create World War III, will do what? They'll say, okay, it's only $5, or it's only $7. And so here's what the Discovery Museum has figured out. Because people are natural-born consumers, we can place our tickets in the toy store, we can put toy stores in their face, and it will stir up in the hearts of people a consumeristic, just drive to want this stuff, and we'll make a profit off of them. That's what they're doing. Now listen, the world is doing the same thing. And therefore, you don't even realize it, but for some of you today, you're like the kid in a toy store. I mean, the world is just your toy store, and you're walking around always thinking, how can I get this? How can I get that? Can I pick up more hours? Can I sacrifice this so that I can get more over here? I mean, we're always just seem to be thinking that way. And the problem is, if you are a consumer, you know that no matter how much you consume, actually, it seems like the more that you consume, the more discontent you become. And if that's where you are, the writer of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You realize that as a Christian right now, you really can be perfectly content. You really can. You really can, in your life, not fall into the trap that the rest of the world has fallen into of constantly envying other people, always trying to get more stuff that will never satisfy. And you know how it's possible? Because the writer of Hebrews says, because as a Christian, you know you already have everything you need. Because you have God. And this God, the creator of the universe, the author of life, the giver of all good gifts, has said, I'm with you. And I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Guys, like, if you believe that is true, like, what else do we need? Some of you, you say this is true, but if you really believe you have that who is most important in your life, why are you trying so hard to obtain more things that are going to be in a junkyard 25 years from now? Why? Everything else that we get, if we have God, everything else is just gravy. It's just an extra blessing. But we don't need any of it because we have the one who we need the most and he's not going anywhere. If you meet God, the natural default instinct is to give. And we see it all throughout scripture. We see it before the law. I mean, before Leviticus 27, which God does command his people to give 10% to the temple. He does command them to give to the poor. He does command them to set aside uh, money, literally, for fermented drinks and, and, and partying to celebrate who God is and what he's done. Don't believe me? Look in the book of Deuteronomy. It's there. Not making this stuff up. God does command them to do all of this stuff. But before God ever commands them to be a generous people, 
we see when people encounter God, they become generous. Abraham's a great example. He gets some money because he rescues his, his nephew Lot, and then he bumps into a priest, Melchizedek, which if you're pregnant right now, might be a name to think about, Melchizedek. And so um, my wife shot that idea down for our child. And so he bumps into Melchizedek. Melchizedek doesn't say, hey, ma'am, how much money you got? He just bumps in and says, oh, man, you're a priest of God, whatever, you represent the president. Here, take this money. And just begins to give naturally. Jacob meets God in a place that he calls Bethel. And when he encounters God, you know what his natural instinct is? It's to give. Here, God, take it. It's all yours. Take it. Just generosity. And then you get to the New Testament. You know what you discover? The people who are under grace give more than the people who are under the law. The people who have experienced the revelation of Jesus Christ, they don't become less generous. They become more generous. So here's an example. This is the first church, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. This is all believers were, one, were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. Can you imagine that? But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully, look at that. You see that? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all that were there, all that were there, was, there was no needed persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. It's the leaders of the church. And they said, hey, distribute this as anyone has need. Second Corinthians chapter 8, as Christianity continues to move forward, we read this in verse 1. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their abundance of joy and the extreme poverty had overflow and a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and look at this, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at this, verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They literally are begging the pastors of the church, please let us be generous. Please let us give more. Please, please. I know it doesn't make sense on paper. I know you think like this. Please, let me just, just a little bit more. <laughs> and this not was expected. We didn't expect it, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, um, and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in the act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And look at this, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is our motivation for giving. We should not give out of guilt. We give out of grace. And to the extent of grace you believe you receive is to the extent to which you want to give to others. We don't give, we don't pass that offering basket because we're like, here's a chance for you to earn God's love. We pass it to say, be reminded that you already are loved. We don't give because we're financially rich. We give because we know, thanks to Jesus, we're spiritually rich. And in Him, we literally have everything that we need. 
I wonder this morning, do you believe that? Is your natural instinct to give? Or have you come to a place where honestly you're trying to do as little as you possibly can and still get away with it? If I can be honest this past week, even as a pastor in the past week and a half as I've thought about preaching this message, I've been convicted. Because here's what's happening and God revealed in my own heart as I'm studying this stuff is I give faithfully to the church. Um, and all of my finances, by the way, are wide open to any of you. I'm not making that up. You want to come and look at my finances? We'll sit down this week and I'll show you. I want to be above reproach in this area. I give faithfully to the church. We have people into our home frequently to provide meals for them. And if someone in our missional community needs something, whether it's gas money or whatever else, we seek to pitch in. I think our missional community can vouch for that, and they've seen that. But here's what I've done, and I've realized as I was studying this passage. I've become content with the level of my generosity. I've begun to say, you know, I give to these three areas, and I'm sure God is perfectly okay with that, and there's nothing left to give. And as I begin to be convicted about how I'm just settled with the level that I've arrived at in my generosity, man, the Spirit just began to do a work in my heart. And so what happened is on uh, one morning I prayed this past week, or uh, it was on Thursday of last week. I got up and I prayed, man, I'm just so touched by what I'm reading in here that I'm just like, God, I want to have a generous heart. God, I, just give me an opportunity even today to be generous. First time I've ever prayed that in my life. That's, that's embarrassing. But God, just give me an opportunity to be generous to somebody today, above and beyond. And so I go to Lowe's, and uh, later that night, and I was getting some wood to build a bunk bed for my for children, uh, for my children, Brian and Harrison Wilkins from our NC help to my father-in-law. And so, but anyways, I was going there, and, and they weren't with me to get the wood, but helped me build it later. So I'm, I'm going there, and I grab the wood, and I'm putting my dad let me borrow his truck, so I'm putting it in the back of his truck. And as I go to put the first piece of lumber in there, this guy pulls up in a car beside me, and he says, uh, "Hey, excuse me, sir, can you do me a favor?" And I was like, yeah, sure, what you need? And he goes, man, I've got an empty tank of gas here, and I've got to get home. Can you fill it up for me? Would you mind doing that? And my first thought was, dude, I don't know you. You probably just blew your money on something stupid. No, I ain't going to fill your tank up. But before I could even finish that thought, God says, you prayed for this. You asked for this. So here's your chance to be generous. So I said, yeah, man, I'd be more than happy to do that. I said, but I got to load up all this lumber first. So I start loading my lumber. And this dude's in his late 20s, perfectly healthy. And you know what he does while I'm loading the lumber? He's nothing. That's exactly right. <laughs> Have you met this guy? <laughs> oh. I'm just wondering if that's like his hangout spot. It's going to run my whole illustration. And so uh, nothing. Now I'm getting a little angry. So in my mind, I'm, here's what I'm about to say to him. Look, dude, if I'm going to fill your tank up with gas, at least help me get this lumber. Okay, the quicker I get this loaded up, the quicker you get your gas and you get home. So I'm about to say that, and as soon as I'm about to say that, here's what God did. He shut my mouth and he said to me, you don't say a word. This is not about him. This is about you. And what God said to me very clearly through his Holy Spirit right there in that moment is I am not primarily concerned about you filling his tank with gas. I want to fill your heart with the gospel. And I want you to learn, Jared Pickney, how to give without expecting anything in return. Because you know what? That's what I've done for you. So I didn't say anything. And I put the wood in the truck and uh, said, all right, man, are you ready to get good gas? And he goes, yeah, let's go to come and go right over here. And I said, okay. And so 
he takes off, and I'm just kind of right behind him. And um, I pull into come and go, and the weirdest thing happened. I never saw the dude again. And I sit there. I mean, I circled. I looked. I waited. Never saw him. And I don't know what happened in that moment, but I do believe what God was doing is this. One, he was testing my heart to see if I believe what I'm saying and if I truly want to be a generous person. But two, he was reminding me that giving is just as much about me as it is about the person I'm giving to. Some of you need to hear that because when you hear sermons on giving, you're like, here we go. The church is all about getting stuff again. Here we go. This person wants to get into my pockets. Listen, guys, when God calls you to give, he really does believe it's better to give than receive. It's for your benefit as much as it is the next person. When God calls you to give, realize he's not just wanting to do great things through you. He wants to do great things in you. And one of the things, you know, what he wants to do in you is he wants to free you from greed. He wants to free you from discontentment. He wants to center your heart on him who alone can satisfy. That's why Jesus, who, by the way, talked about money 25% of the time that he was teaching, which means if I taught him money as much as he did, I'd preach on it once a month. So if you're like, man, I wish our pastors were more like Jesus, well, then you'd be getting this once a month, okay? He, uh, Jesus literally, he talked about the, the, the sin of greed 20 times more than any other sin. Isn't that insane? And as he's talking about money, here's one of the things he says, Matthew 6, 21. Good grief. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Translation. Hey, you want to know if you really worship me? Let me make this real simple for you. Let's look at your bank statement. And I'll tell you real quick. Tim Keller in his commentary on this passage says, Money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. You want to know what you worship? Look at what it's easiest for you to spend your money on. That's how we can know what we worship. For some of you this morning, if you can be honest, your money is flowing to the same things as the world's. You're in this holding pattern right now where you go to work, you come home, you stare at a screen, you spend money on stuff you don't need, you hit repeat, and then you wonder this morning, why in the world are the rumors of abundant life still rumors? Why am I not experiencing God on any deeper of a level? Some of you in here, I mean, you are totally disenchanted with the Christian faith right now. You're totally disenchanted with it. You're bored out of your mind. You're not content. You're not fulfilled. The life God has promised you in Scripture seems more like a rumor than a reality. And I'm telling you right now, listen, guys, that will not change apart from you living a generous life. If you want the rumors of God to go from rumors to reality, you must be a person who gives. And you don't need to give out of a reaction to guilt. You give out of response to grace. You don't give out of a, because you have a guilty conscience. You give because you have a generous God who has already poured out everything that you need through Jesus Christ. That's the motivation for our giving. Now, quickly... The method of our giving. If that's why we should give, how should we give, who should we give to, that sort of thing. And when I look in Scripture, I see in the New Testament, there's three areas where God commands us to give. He commands us to give to the poor. He commands us to give to the community of faith. And he commands us to give to the local church for the sake of leadership and equipping. Let me talk about all three of these. First, the poor. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says, Whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. If you want a really sobering afternoon, go read the rest of that chapter where Jesus says, if you neglect to give to the poor, I will not see you in heaven. 
And let me just say this. That's not because Jesus is saying you have to earn my salvation. He's just saying it's a sign you never received it. Because you cannot possibly believe that you were spiritually bankrupt before me. You could not do anything for me and that I met all of your needs and then turn a blind eye to the needs of others. Can't do it. Can't do it. You give to the poor. Luke 14, 13 through 14. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So again, the New Testament would say you need a budget your stuff in a way where you have some margin to give and to care for others who are needy. We need to do that. The second thing is we need to give to the community of faith. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, so that we have an opportunity, let's do good for everyone, especially for those who are the household of the faith. And so it's this idea that, hey, we're to live a life, we're to give for the benefit of others, but we're to especially do that for each other in the church. So before you're even given for others, we give to make sure that we can care for our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I just want to say this, as a church, we're awesome at this across the board. We really, really are. I mean, by God's grace, we have seen this over and over and over. I mean, even just two weeks ago, I, I love this because me and Adam joke a lot about how some pastors, like, they'll have an illustration and they'll play it forever. And it's like, man, that happened three years ago. Like, shouldn't there be more examples you know and so like i don't i don't have to use examples from last year i could use an example from two weeks ago where someone in a missional community literally opened up their home and let someone else move in from the missional community because they couldn't pay the bills during the season of their life just said everything we have is yours come on in i mean i can tell you story after story where this has happened it's an area we are great in as a church praise be to god thanks for his grace and his work in our lives and so An area that I would say, though, that we struggle but are still commanded in Scripture is we're called to give to the local church for the sake of equipping and leading. Some of you may not like to hear this. It may not sound that cool or organic or whatever else. But listen, here's the reality. Ministry takes money. It just does. Um, Apart from tithes in this church, this church would not exist. It seriously would not exist. Um, Some of you, you are so faithful to give. And because of that, we're able to equip leaders. We're able to meet in a facility like this. We're able to provide resources and equipment for our children's ministry, which, like, we'll have 80-something kids back there today. That takes money, right? Not only that, beyond these walls, we're able to make sure that we supplement our missional community so they can continue to go on missions. So, like, a couple weeks ago, one of our missional communities said we want to feed the Green County Tech football team, but we don't have money to feed all of them. So they just came, and the pastor said, yeah, we'll give you some money to make sure and help out and, and be able to do that. We also, in the next year, will give away $20,000 to missionaries and church planners all over the world. We give $800 a month to guys like Rusty Langford, who is here, who's able to go and plant. He's able to plant because of your generosity. Beyond this, your tithes do help pay salaries for guys like me and Adam, who are able to be freed up from working in a factory or somewhere else so that we can spend time caring for each of you and equipping you for the work of the ministry that God's called you to do. And if you're sitting here and you're like, well, man, I just don't think that pastors should get paid. Well, let me just quickly read to you from the scripture. Because, again, I want you to know this is not coming from personal agenda. It's coming from biblical conviction. I don't have time to. I was going to read the whole chapter of chapter 9 because it's all about ministers getting paid through the you know, for, their, for their work. But let me just summarize it, verse 13 and 14. Paul says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? So this is the idea in the Old Testament where people and in the, in, in the, God's people would give to the priest to make sure they were being cared for. 
And he says, likewise, in the New Testament, right? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Galatians 6, 6, last verse. Let the one who has taught the word... Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is actually where I get my conviction that if you're going to give somewhere, the first place you should probably give is to the local church. Some of you, you support missionaries, you support nonprofits, you support other churches, and you do that, and so you're not able to actually share with anybody here in the church. But God's word says make sure that you are sharing, that you have enough to share with the pastors who are teaching you and watching over your souls. In Hebrews 13, 17 Paul says this, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, probably isn't Paul actually. Don't know why I said Paul. But anyways, Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And give an account to who? To God. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for you, for that's no benefit for you. Do you realize there's nobody else on this planet, nobody else, who's going to give an account for your soul outside of me, Adam, and Luke, if you're a member of this church? Is that not crazy and kind of scary? And in some ways you're like, hey, you know. Like literally, literally, I am going to stand before God and give an account for how I cared for and equipped you and watched over you. So the writer of Hebrews says, you might want to make this a joy for them because they're watching over your soul. It's you. You're the one, right? So when you give, right, when you, when you serve, like realize like it's actually a benefit for you to free them up to where they can do this well because you need someone to actually watch over you. And if you're sitting here right now and you're like, well, I just can't trust that you guys are going to do a good job of that, so that's why I don't give. Okay, listen, then go to a church where you can trust the pastors, I'm not just telling you this because I'm wanting to like get rich or I want our pastors to get rich off you. I want you to experience the rumors of abundant life and see they are true. And one of the ways that happens is by walking in obedience to God's commands. And he calls us to give to the church for the sake of equipping and leadership. So if you can't trust the pastors here, I'm telling you, with love in my heart, find a church where you can and give there. That's a benefit to you. Maybe some of you here, you're like, well, the reason I don't give, it's not because I don't trust the pastors. Maybe for some of you, you're like, the reason I don't give is because I just don't make a whole lot of money. And if I made more money, I would give. Okay? I think this is actually where the majority of us are today. But what you need to see is that excuse is nothing more than an excuse. According to things like Barna.org, which is a, a research organization, they shared some statistics that say this, that last year, 8% of Christians making $20,000 or less gave 10%. Five, only 5% of people who made twenty dollars to $29,000 gave 10%. Only 4% of Christians who make forty dollars to $50,000 gave 10%. And only 2% of those who make sixty dollars to $75,000 gave 10%. The reality is, the more you make, the less you want to give. And this is just common sense. If I give you $10 and I say, but I just want one back, it's going to be pretty easy. But if I give you $1,000 and say I want 100 I can buy a lot with 100 bucks, right? So at the end of the day, what I just want you to see is this, that giving is a lot less about what you have in the bank and it's a lot more about what you have in your heart. 
Uh, Luke 16, 10 through 13, Jesus says this. I think I can put it on the screen for you. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It really, when it comes to giving, is not about how much money you have in your wallet. It's about how much the gospel has settled into your heart. Your giving is not ultimately about how much you have in your account. It's about how much you truly believe Jesus has done on your account. And that's why this morning I'm concerned as I think about some of us in here today who are still believing the lie that it's better to receive than it is to give. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 22, that one of the reasons rumors stay rumors, the rumors of abundant life God has offered us to stay rumors, one of the reasons the gospel does not settle into our hearts is because the riches of the world choke it out of us. Maybe that's where you are. And I want to end with Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. Jesus says, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. Isn't that interesting, by the way, that he says, watch out? It's almost like greed can sneak up on you. If you have an affair on your spouse, you know you're sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. It's pretty obvious. Every other sin's pretty obvious. Here's what's interesting about greed. Nobody thinks they're greedy in here this morning. I've never, and maybe you have, I never in my life have done counseling with somebody because they walked in and said, man, I think I'm spending more money than I should. Never done it. Jesus knows it's so incredibly sneaky, this greed. So he says, watch out. And you better be on guard against all kinds of greed. And look what he says next. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then he told a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll get some storage units because I can't even hold all my stuff. And there I will store my surplus and grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you know, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, right? Great retirement. So let's take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. Then who will get all the stuff that you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. <laughs> Paul says in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of you have flipped that. And you said, actually, to live is gain, to die is Christ. And therefore, you begin to build your life saying, I'm going to try to accumulate as much as I can. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to make my life as easy as I can. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy the benefits of my self-indulgent life. And then I'm going to die as an old man in my sleep and wake up in heaven. That's called the American dream, not biblical Christianity. Maybe it's where you find yourself today. Just to be clear, let me just say this real quick. You don't have to have a lot of money to be a greedy person. Sometimes the poorest people are the greediest. 
So don't start looking around and seeing who gets in what cars today and all that and saying, I bet they needed that message today because I'm just driving this old piece of junk clunker. And <laughs> Reality is, if you had more money, you'd probably be... Anyways. <laughs> this isn't about how much money you have. It's about what you're doing with what you have. Some of you today... With all the love in my heart, please, I'm, I'm calling you, stop giving your life to the American dream. Start giving yourself to Christ, the one who has already given himself for you. Trust in him. The truth is, guys, listen, all of us, listen, I'm almost done. I know it's been a little bit longer than normal, but I'm almost done. The truth is, all of us in here right now are giving ourselves to something. And money just tells you what that is. Some of you, you're giving yourself to image. You care so much about what other people think of you, about how you look, about what you wear, about what you drive. Some of you in here, you're giving yourself to control. You don't try to spend your money. You just hoard it all, and, and you're just like, man, I just got to hold on to all this stuff. And, you know, so I can make sure my kids have what they need, and the, the economy falls out. And I've got, right? Some of you, like, you're giving your money because you wanna, your money is all about you getting power and success. For others, it's about comfort and having just an easy life. I don't know what it may be for you, but listen, if you're building your life on these things, ultimately none of it's going to satisfy you. And if you keep moving towards it, eventually it's going to drive you into the ground. Trust all that you have with Jesus, the one who has given you everything that you need so that you can discover that the rumors of abundant life actually are true. As we end this morning, as the band comes up, I want to read again in, in 2 Corinthians 8 9. It's what I want to meditate on as we move into a time of communion. Again, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here's what I want us to meditate on, and we're done, okay? If you've, if you've fallen asleep, wake back up real quick. Good to see you. If you're just waking up, <laughs> hope you had a good nap. Um, do you realize what Second Corinthians 8 9 is saying? Jesus was infinitely rich. That means that he wasn't wanting anything. Like he had everything he needed. Every rich, every bit of money, he had he owned it all. He had all the treasures of the world. And he gave it all up. Why? For you. Do you know what that means? That Jesus treasures you more than all the treasures of the world. Only whenever that becomes reality, only when you can see Jesus really just treasuring you like crazy in a scandalous way, can you let go of the treasures of the world and begin to actually share those with others for the good of the people, for the good of you, and ultimately for the glory of God.